All right, in the key of C. I don't know about you, but I've been edified greatly this morning by the singing. That's been awesome. Thank you so much. And I've been built up by the welcome. That was a great insight into prayer by Rail and Carol. And Jake the Scholar breaking down the scriptures for us for the communion. That was awesome. So I've been really encouraged thus far. Amen. It's been great. I would like to welcome some people visiting from overseas. Uh, Doug and Lee Herget from Phoenix. If you guys could stand uh, shortly, briefly. They're from the U.S., and we do have a connection with them now because Megan's sister and brother-in-law, my in-laws, Forrest and Mandy, are moving to Phoenix to lead the church in Phoenix, so we're all connected some way, somehow, and it all ends up back in Virginia. Don't forget, right? Just kidding. Also, setting kind of a new precedent, you've, if you've been familiar with our churches, you've heard of a one-year challenge where people come for a year, and they serve and give, and, but there's a brother setting a new precedent. And Renzo Gouda is doing a one-week challenge here in Auckland. Good to see you, bro. You've seen him sing songs. And from his tours from all over the globe, we give you Crescente Balance, who's back. Good to have you back, bro. Yeah, welcome back, bro. And there were some transitions that I talked about last week and graduations. And also want to note that Annie has graduated university as well. Congratulations. And then shortly we'll have some teens graduating high school. Cyrus and Timothy, at least those two guys are going to be graduating high school. Are they here? They're, they're studying for their exams. Huh? And lastly, Jane turned 50 over the weekend. That was awesome. So Jane, she's serving with the kids' ministry, so that, that's awesome. And of course, today is 11-11, where they celebrate the, 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 the armistice. And so there you go, Sophie. Way to, way to be fired up about that. It's, it's very significant, right? Because 100 years ago, this is when war finally gave way to peace. And so that will be celebrated this morning. And it was very significant for New Zealand as well, because at that time, around 10% of the population served in that war, which, which is a very big deal. And at 11 a.m. this morning, which is in like two minutes, uh, throughout the city and the country, they'll ring bells, etc. And, and so what we'll do at 11 a.m. also is take a two-minute period of silence, where we remember those who've served in the war. And um, But before we do, well, let's go ahead and do that now, because it's approaching 11, and that way it'll be a nice transition into the sermon. Amen? Amen. So just for, for two minutes, we'll reflect and, and remember those that have served in, our, in the war. Amen. I think everyone would agree it does take a great amount of courage to serve your country, so I think it's appropriate to remember those. Something about war demands courage, doesn't it? You just can't go and, and be a pansy. You have to muster some courage to go and engage in warfare. I think rightly so. And equally true, I believe, is the, the courage that it takes to kind of go on in ordinary everyday life for a long period of time, right? I think sometimes it's easy to manage courage or muster up the courage for like short blocks of time, but harder to maintain or sustain courage throughout your entire lifetime. That, that seems a bit more challenging. But I think it's a bit more essential to remain courageous throughout your whole life, not just in short blocks. The Bible says that in order to be courageous for your entire life, you have to follow Jesus. 
I think non-Christian and Christian can both be courageous momentarily, but for the remainder of your life, the Bible says to do that, you have to follow Jesus because he was the most courageous person to ever walk the planet. Hands down. And so this morning we'll talk about courage and how it ties into the passage and how we all want to belong to a community that is courageous. Let's pray and read Acts chapter 20, starting at verse 17. Father, we are grateful to serve you, the true God, and we're grateful for your son Jesus, whom you've sent and shed his blood for us. And we're also grateful for, for those that have served in the war in the countries, and, but we're also more grateful for peace which happens at the result of your blood. And I pray that as we read your scriptures this morning, they they really call us to respond to who you are, the supreme authority in the universe, Father, and that everything begins and ends with that, that the scriptures we hear and apply to our life are deeply rooted in the person of Jesus. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. In Acts chapter 20, as we continue our study, the first 16 verses are some traveling notes through the the third missionary journey of Paul. So we're we're not going to get into that. We're going to begin in verse 17. But also what happens in in the first 16 verses is Paul raises a person named Eutychus from the dead. Which, if you've ever heard that story, can be looked at in a comical way. Paul keeps talking and talking, and the guy falls asleep and falls out the window and dies. And kind of a note to preachers to tone it down a little bit in their length. But what happens, it's not really just a, a story that's comical, but it's, it's really God validating Paul's apostleship. Don't forget, Paul was a terrorist turned gospel teacher. And as he travels throughout, you'll see miraculous things happen and God is stamping, this is my apostle. Yes, he raises somebody from the dead, stamp. And so you, you have to see this in its context because people would have had a suspicious eye toward Paul. That's the guy who used to persecute Christians. And so God is saying, no, this is now my guy. This is another indicator of that as he raises Eutychus from the dead. With all that, let's begin in verse 17 of Acts chapter 20. The Bible says, it's on the screen as well if you don't have a scripture in front of you. After the uproar ceased, you'll remember there was a riot in Ephesus. Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews... Is this the right passage? I'm trying, but that's, that's like, it, it's totally the wrong passage. See what I try to help people out and put it on the screen? Just, that was it? How about, how about that one? How about that one? All right, here we go again. Thank you for your courage. Now from my letters, he sent to Ephesus. <laughs> hey, it fit. All right. From the scriptures, here we go. Now from my letters, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time. From the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink 
from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both the Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit or compelled by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Very encouraging message. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among who I have gone out about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. What a farewell statement. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years... I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. And now, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified, as we learn from by Jake. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. What, a, what an intense passage as he's continuing his third missionary journey. And this is a church that he spent three years with. A longer period of time than he spent in previous churches. And now he's moving on and he's going to go to Jerusalem to deliver a contribution that the Jerusalem church needs. He's making a stop there and then on his way to Rome. And prayerfully and hopefully he wants to go to Spain to take the gospel there. But before he does all this travel, he calls the elders from Ephesus. And he gives a farewell address. It's the only speech in Acts where it's geared toward Christians. Other times we see him debating with people in the synagogue or God-fearing people or in Athens. But here he's pouring out his heart to the elders in Ephesus. And we get an insight into his ministry. He talks about how his past life was. He says, you guys knew me. You saw me up close and personal for the last three years. You know who I, who I was. You know how I lived. 
And then he talks about his present. You know what I'm planning to do. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to help them. I want to go to Rome. I want to go to Spain. And then he talks about his, the future of the church where he says, and now you guys, you guys got to keep going. And so we get an insight into his ministry, and, and it can be boiled down to a lot about courage. And so we'll look at two things this morning concerning courage. We all have to be courageous to be compelled to follow the Holy Spirit. And secondly, we have to be courageous to speak truthfully. We all have to be courageous to follow the Holy Spirit in verse 22 of this chapter. If we read there, it says... I'm having a hard time with my Bible this morning. He mentions a few times that he's been compelled by the Holy Spirit. Or in some, in some translations, it'll say constrained by the Holy Spirit. That's why I'm in Acts chapter 19. It's chapter 20, verse 22. And now compelled by the Holy Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem. If you read through Paul's missionary journeys, there's often this sense of he's being driven by an outside force. Known as the Holy Spirit. And here again it shows up. Back when he first starts in Acts chapter 13 verse 22. The Holy Spirit says set apart for me Paul and Barnabas. We don't know how the Holy Spirit said it. But we know the Holy Spirit said that. And so is this outside force driving Paul and Barnabas into the ministry. The very next verse says the Holy Spirit sent them off. On their first missionary journey. You remember in chapter 16, they're trying to go to different parts of Asia. And they're trying to get into this one city. And it says the Spirit prevented them. They try to go to another city. The Spirit prevented them. But then they get a vision from Macedonia. And they go there concluding, the Holy Spirit wants us there. And all his, throughout his journey, you see the, the Spirit kind of driving him. Paul's just kind of listening for it and following it. and He's in tune with it. And here again, he says, I have to go here because I'm compelled by the Holy Spirit. And we all say amen to that, right? That sounds awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of the thing. Is we want to be in touch and in tune with the Spirit. And I agree with that. And we all say amen. But what we probably don't realize... Or what we might be slower to say amen to is to the climate in which he's called into by the Spirit. Because when he says, I feel compelled, but he says in the remainder of verse 23, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. I say amen to that too, right? Because <laughs> we all say, hey, we're fired up to follow the Spirit. But the Spirit says, I want you to go here and you're going to be in prison and you're going to experience hardship. Amen. amen. Be led by the Spirit. Right? Don't get it twisted. It doesn't mean the, the Spirit-filled life isn't going to float along into some comfortable lifestyle. It's, it's really not sound like that. There is some kind of grit and some tension going on in here. The next chapter. He goes to somewhere else and a prophet comes and, and takes Paul's belt and he binds himself with it. He says, who's the owner of this belt? When you go to the next city, they're going to bind you like this. That's what the Holy Spirit says. It's like, man, that kind of gives a different perspective on following the Holy Spirit. Right? And, and here we see that the Spirit is driving Paul into some dangerous territory, which really just takes courage to follow the Holy Spirit. You think about how the Holy Spirit works, because if, if you remember Jesus, when he starts his ministry, Mark chapter 1, verse 14 or 12, says that he's driven. 
into the desert. By who? The Holy Spirit. It's the same word that they use when Jesus kicks out the demons. He drives him out. The Spirit drives Jesus into the desert. And he doesn't go for a nice chat. He, he's facing like the supreme evil one. Face to face. As a result of being led by the Holy Spirit. And so over and over, this idea that, that's really challenged me, and I want to challenge us, is that following the Holy Spirit is not comfortable. It's not. It often may come with danger and difficulty. C.S. Lewis says this, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. You can get a chuckle out of this. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. That's pretty hardcore. To be compelled by the Holy Spirit means at some point in your spiritual life, there's going to be some tension, some friction, some unresolved questions. I think if, if you've been studying your Bible for any amount of time and you've never had to wrestle with something you've seen in the Bible, you're probably too comfortable. You don't have to read very far to say, what in the world is going on here? Why is God doing this? What's going on with this, Pat? Why did God say that? Why didn't he say anything about this? You don't have to read very far into the Bible to say, what is going on? I'm, I'm wrestling with this. There's just some friction. There's some tension. Because following the Spirit is not comfortable. It kind of rocks you, it, it prods you, and it kind of blows your mind. Because following the Spirit is dangerous. And, and if our Christian lives never confront idols in our life, then it's likely we're too comfortable. Or if, if our Christian life doesn't really challenge our sinful habits, then it's likely we're not being courageous enough to listen to the Spirit and follow Him. If none of our peers can really say, hey, in the last year or two or three, I've really seen you improve and grow and, and mature in this area, then maybe you're too comfortable and not really being driven and compelled by the Holy Spirit. I think I would love for myself and, and for our church to be a bit more dangerous. I imagine following Jesus around and feeling like, oh, don't, don't, don't say that to those guys. Don't, don't go over there. There's some demons that have been, had trouble being locked and chained. Nobody's been able to, we're not going over there. Same thing with Paul. Hey, it's highly likely you're going to get kicked out of the synagogue or beaten or prison or stoned or somebody's going to have a plot to kill you. <laughs> I'm like, man, those guys are dangerous. And that's what drew me to Jesus, man. He, he's a dangerous guy, but at the same time, he's so caring and compassionate. It's like, what a unique blend. Who else is like that? But I, 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 want, to, I want people in our fellowship to say, oh man, I, I love spending time with this guy because you just don't know what's going to happen. He's compelled by this. I love spending time with his sister because you just don't know what's going to happen. They're compelled, they're driven by the Spirit, and it's a bit dangerous. That's the way I want our church to be. When Paul went through Asia, they had to stop meeting in certain locations because the pressure got too hot. I'm not saying we go out right and do dumb stuff and get kicked. But I am saying we need to be more dangerous because we're being compelled by the Spirit. Following the Spirit means sometimes it's dangerous and difficult. I think we live in a comfortable culture. 
that's our default, isn't it? Especially in the Western world, we kind of thrive on comfortability. We, hey, we live in a beautiful country. It's amazing. It's beautiful. And our problems, when we compare them to other problems, are so minute, aren't they? I mean, when you hear about stuff that's going on in the other sides of the world, and you say, man, I just can't get Wi-Fi in my bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> like, really? Really, you know, let me move a little closer to the router. I'm too far out. That's ridiculous when you hear about what's going on in the Middle East and when you hear about these places, right? We cannot be brothers and sisters who are comfortable. Jesus sets the tone for this type of courage, being driven by the Spirit. There's no degree of comfortability. Dying on a cross, we need to become a community who's compelled and driven by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Being driven by the Spirit. Secondly, we need to be a community that can speak truthfully. And we see this characterized in Paul's ministry as well. And specifically the truth, the ability to be courageous and and speak truthfully to other people. Look at verse 20 of chapter 20. Now Now I'm in rhythm. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. Look at verse 27. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Same Greek word, both instances. It's almost a suggestion. Remember here, the context is he's, he's not the whole church. He's pulled the elders together. And it does have relevance for the church and us and etc. But he's pulled this group together. And he, twice he says, I haven't hesitated. I didn't shrink back. Almost implying like, you guys cannot shrink back. You need to be courageous and speak truthfully to people. He kind of caps it out in verse 31. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. I mean, if you were in Paul's ministry, he was always speaking truthfully. Even when he felt the temptation to shrink back, he says, I didn't. I didn't withhold. I didn't. I I kept going because I have the courage necessary to proclaim the gospel. This kind of model is, is very different in the world. It wasn't until I became a disciple when I started hearing more truth about myself. <laughs> Probably true for you as well. But the world often recognizes something needs to be said, but rarely says it. Or they feel something strongly needs to be said, but what they say is actually a lot softer than what they feel needs to be said. Right? And that, that can apply to both Christian and non-Christian. But in this passage, Paul says, I had the courage and, and I was given this courage by God to say what needs to be said. How many of you have seen these auditions for kind of talent type TV shows? And I often see those, you know, for instance, American Idol was, you know, something we used to watch and when I was in America. And, and I see these contestants and I would just think, these guys must not have friends. I, I, I just can't get it. Like, how do they turn up and think, let me perform, all right? And to make this point, I just want to give you a for instance. Consider this contestant, James Lewis, okay? Let's go, James. Hello there, 
is bass. Okay, now that, that that's kind of comical. You're like, okay, that, that guy shouldn't have, have, have auditioned. Somebody might have said, maybe they did say, hey, James, this is not the thing for you. And he may have thought, no, I think it is. So in either case, it's bad. But I often think, man, you know, so to, somebody should have just said, bro, don't even think about it. Don't even try it. And, and just to test this out, I had this conversation with my kids. I would say, well, let me see what people really think. And I showed them the video and I said, is this good or bad? They cracked up like, oh, that's really bad. It was like, they were, you know, it was funny. My girls. And I said, okay, here's the question I have for you. If he asked you how he sounded, what would you say? <laughs> and one of my girls said, mm, more expression? I said, okay, that's gracious. And the other one said, oh, I'd probably just lie. <laughs> I was like, you know, that, that kind of points to something in our human nature, right? And it's comical we see it in the setting. And, but I've, I've, been, I've been in that position where I've seen something very clearly that needs to be addressed. And I say, it's all good, bro. It's not that bad. When deep down I know something more courageously needs to be said. And I, 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 I bet you've done it too. And Paul, he says, look, I, I, I got to tell people what's profitable for them. That's the word he uses. I got to tell people what's profitable. I can't let them go on American Idol and sing like they think that obviously that's not what he's saying. But in this context, we got to keep people strong. I got to tell them truth. I got to be courageous. I got to keep speaking to people. And this is where following Jesus becomes really relevant because it takes a lot of courage to do that to someone. It takes a lot of care. It takes a lot of love. And the world often feels the pull, but doesn't say it. And if you examine the life and ministry of Jesus, his care and concern for humanity is so deep and so profound that he has to speak truthfully to people. Because he cares about them so much. I can't let them stay where they are. I can't let them be in this position any longer. I have to say something. And that's, that's what Paul is communicating here to the elders in Ephesus. You have to be courageous. And you have to speak truthfully to people. I mean, what, th- this involves saying something both publicly and privately. Because that, that's a big deal. That's what Paul will say here as he says, I, I, you know, I, I went around and I, and I preached publicly and from house to house. Why is that important? It's really easy for me to get up here and say something strong with a microphone. Yeah. But let's get one-on-one. Yeah. Where it's just me and you. And now it's a, bit, it's a bit different. No microphone. No platform. Just mano y mano. Right? Paul says, what I said in public, I said in private. That's what it means to speak truthfully. You know, you're the same person. You know, you're the same. You say the same thing, whatever your audience is. That's, that's what Jesus was when he's on trial. They question him. He says, 
Ask the people that listen to me. Whatever I said publicly, I said privately. There was no difference. Because I spoke truth. It takes a lot of courage to do that. It also takes a lot of courage to speak over a long period of time. Paul says in verse 31, I, I did this for three years. I never stopped. And it was admonishment, which is a strong verb there. It's not just get it together. It's like, let me, let me put something and place it into your skull. I never stopped doing that for three years. And I was crying when I did it. With tears. It's, it's very... And sometimes it's, it's easier to just say something strong once and have a one-off conversation that's truthful. But to keep saying, holding a high standard every day, over and over, takes a lot of courage. Takes a lot of courage. And it's easy to grow weary. Sometimes we think we've said enough, and, but, but perhaps we have to keep speaking the truth in Courage. Verse 20 is also insightful where he says, You know that I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful. That word helpful is translated profitable, which actually has a bit of a deeper meaning. In the in the Old Testament, the prophets <laughs> the prophets would say following idols is unprofitable. And that's not designed to be a pun at all, but that's just what they would say. They would say, it's worthless, it's not gonna help you. You need to, you, let me give you something more profitable. Follow God. And so they, that's what they were teaching. And Paul says the same thing. He, he, he says, you know what? He, and what does he say in Ephesians? Don't let people deceive you with empty words. Because everybody's going to tell you, bro, you're great. Great sermon, great lesson, great Bible study, great this, great that. Everybody's going to tell you what you want to hear. And it's going to feed your self-deception. You need somebody that speaks truth to you. That's what Jesus does. That's what Jesus does. Everybody wants to say, James, not James Brown, James on American, a little bit of work, and you might get there. But we all want to say, oh, I'd probably lie to him. You know, right? And, and, and so God uses people. God speaks truthfully for eternity. He spoke through creation. That's what Psalm 19 says. That's what Hebrews 1 says. He's speaking through prophets. That's also what Hebrews 1 says. He's speaking through Jesus. He's speaking through the church. God is constantly speaking truth that is profitable for you and me. Building us up. Edifying us. Refining us. Sanctifying us. That's God's mode of operation. Constantly speaking truth to us. That's why we can be courageous to do likewise. That's what God does for us when it comes to doctrinal matters as well. Paul says, hey, look, this is a scary thought. Verse 29 and 30. Hey, I'm about to leave, and I know in verse 29 that from the outside, people, false teachers are going to come from the outside. That's what verse 29 says. Verse 30 is even more scary. Even from among you. They'll come and won't spare the flock. You're going to have external teachers coming out and saying stuff. And some people in, some people in this membership are going to start saying weird stuff. You've got to be truthful. You've got to be courageous. You've got to speak truthfully. 
That same word profitable is used in Matthew chapter 5, verse 29. It's a, it's a passage many brothers know about. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. It is better. That's the word, profitable. It is more profitable for you to lose one, one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. What's profitable? When your brothers and sisters are in sin, you've got to speak truthfully and help them get out. I mean, that's what God does for us. He sees the human condition. He rescues it, but he, 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 this is profitable. I'll send my son Jesus. That's why we can do likewise. We can be courageous and speak truthfully. Verse 26 as well. The whole counsel of God. That's what Paul says. Verse 26. I didn't come and just preach one note. Go share your faith. Go share your faith. Go share your faith. Go share your faith. I mean, I gave you the whole counsel of God. When you needed grace, I gave you grace. When you needed encouragement, I gave you encouragement. When you needed admonishment, I gave you admonishment. When you needed this, when you needed a father figure, I was a father figure. When you needed a mother figure, I was a mother figure. The whole counsel of God. And so we, we all have to improve this as well. Give, speaking truthfully, not just as sounding one note, but trying to give people the full picture. The whole counsel of God. Again, all this is rooted in God's deep care for His church and for humanity because it says He purchased the church with His own blood. That's what Paul says here. And that's kind of the rationale behind it all. That's why I can be courageous. Look what God did for me. Look what God did for you. We can be courageous. As we conclude this morning, it's important for all of us to look to Jesus. Okay? If you want to be courageous for the remainder of your life and not just little fits and starts, you must follow Jesus. Jesus. He's a supreme model of courage. Leaves heaven, comes to earth, dies on a cross, resurrects, sends his spirit, and still works with the church despite our flaws. That's a supreme example of encouragement. Always using the spirit to point us in the right direction. And so as a church, our call is to become more like Jesus and be compelled to follow the Holy Spirit. It won't be comfortable, but it'll be transforming when we're all driven by the Holy Spirit. Let's all be courageous to speak truth to one another. And as Paul says in this passage as well, let us finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me and us. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Amen. Amen.